0: This is Our Voices on the Yard. Welcome to Our Voices on the Yard, where Black artistic excellence meets everyday life. I'm your host, Denise Woods, and I'm gonna take you from the Black church to the bright lights of Broadway, from tiny music studios to the mega stages of international opera houses, from rustic dance studios to ornate vaudeville theaters, Join me as we explore and celebrate the achievements of the Black artists that attended conservatories and fine arts programs around the world. Starting with my very own, the Juilliard School. This is Our Voices on the Yard. Hi, this is Denise Woods, and welcome back to Our Voices on the Yard. Today is the conclusion of the Lisa Whitfield interview. She really, really laid it out, laid it on the line in the first one. She takes it to a whole nother level today. Sit back. Enjoy. So then you stayed on faculty for how long? And then what did you do? You stayed on faculty. You stayed in New York. You have amazing children. So let's talk about that leg of the journey.
1: That's kind of the condensed version. When I graduated, I just started freelancing. Oh. Actually, I started freelancing my last year at Juilliard. And that was my first, no, that wasn't my first run-in with the dean's office. It was a situation where I'd been offered a job. And, you know, Juilliard has a particular way of looking at things. If you've been offered a job subbing with the New York Philharmonic, of course that's more important than you doing orchestra here. So, yes, you can get out of that concert. And you could get out of certain concerts. There were certain conductors I didn't want to play with. So I would just fill out a waiver and go, nope, not me, not today. I had put in a waiver and I was told I couldn't have it. And they were like, well, why do you want to do this? And I was like, I got a job. And they're like, well, what, did you win a job somewhere? I'm like, no, I'm freelancing and I got a job. And they're like, that's not a sufficient reason. What? I said, why? Because it's not the Phil, Because it's not the Met? I had this argument with Juilliard on a number of levels for many, many years. And when they started inviting us to the faculty meetings when we were on music advancement and pre-college, that was the first time that I aired what I had to say publicly. And it was met with a surprising response. I was actually really impressed that it was met with the response it was met with by the other people in the audience, not by the people on stage. Sure. This big presentation about how great Juilliard is and all the job opportunities, and we are really working hard to prepare our students for the three areas they go into. Not the top three, not some of the three. It's just these. Wow. Performing in a top tier orchestra, teaching at the university level, or a top-tier solo career. That's it. So I stood up. That's it. it. Apparently, that's what everybody else at Juilliard did. So I stood up. See, this is why I have that T-shirt that says, I'm not the one you should put on speakerphone. Because (laughs) I stood up to God and everybody, Denise, and I just looked at the person on stage who I'd known for years and had tremendous respect for. And I said, Would you like to tell us what the other 97% of us are supposed to do? Who? What are we supposed to do? Because, first of all, there aren't that many openings in major orchestras. Second of all, there aren't that many university positions for teaching. And third of all, how many violin soloists does the world really need? (laughs) I went there and I was mad. I was really mad. I was like, what about those of us who make our career teach the children who eventually go to those universities?
0: Yes. What about
1: those of us make our career playing as freelancers because either we can't get jobs in these major orchestras or we don't want them? What about us? Does Juilliard not apply to us? And I was really shocked that a large portion of the faculty clapped. I was really shocked. Wow. I was very pleased to hear it, but I was really shocked because it was very clear. If you weren't fitting that mold, they didn't really want to talk to you. They want to hear from (sighs) you. And that was very demoralizing because I was like, okay, I'm not selling jeans at the Gap. I work here. So clearly you thought something of my abilities that you allow me to teach here. And I'm out here making money, playing the viola. Mm -hmm. So clearly I know Mm -hmm. how to play. Mm -hmm. So what about entrepreneurial training? What about finance training? What about the things that the rest of us need? If you're out here with a manager, even if you have a manager, your manager might be ripping you off if you don't know how to cap the 10. That's
0: right. That's right. Did you see any substantial change administratively over your time there? You just in terms of the ideology behind the, the pedagogical approach to what it means to teach a student, an artist at Juilliard, a well rounded artist at Juilliard. Was there any change in the thinking? Not really. Not
1: in the time I was there. I can't speak for any time after I left. And I'm not going to say it won't change or it hasn't changed. From what I hear, it has. But in the time I was there, no. And I was there for 18 years. And no, I did not see a substantial change. Yeah, You know, Denise, part of my problem is that I'm very outspoken. And I'm less outspoken now than I was in my 20s. Because mm-hmm. I still had fucks to give in my 20s. <laughs> when I turn 50, I will tell you somebody must have come in the middle of the night, took my last fuck because I'll <laughs> give a fuck anymore. I'll say what I have to say, but I don't feel like I need to shout. Now yes. I'll just say what I did, what it is. And I'll just keep stepping because it's Isn't just that like, liberating? Look, you don't want to hear what I have to say, fine. It it's, is. It's yes. very
0: liberated. It's incredibly it's liberating. so liberating. It's so liberating. And there were so many I, I times agree. I thought
1: I couldn't do that at Juilliard.
0: Yeah. I agree. I agree. Part I of the reason why I left a lot. Yeah. Yes. And I was there from 92 to 2000, eight years. And in those eight years, mm-hmm. I never really felt that they heard me as a faculty member. I was the first African-American woman on faculty in the drama division. And I never felt that my voice really mattered. And I tried to speak. I tried because I was there in the 90s when a lot of flack was coming toward particularly the African-American men in the drama division because it was the height of the hip hop era. Okay, it was at the height. And so they were being given flack with the way they spoke. And I wanted to say, instead of approaching voice and speech from a position of this faction of the student body is coming from a place of lack, let's just honor that, embrace it, celebrate and add to what they already have as opposed to making them feel that what I have is less than. It's not worthy of the Juilliard model of the Juilliard actor, you know, and I just was invited to the faculty at another school and their model, their pedagogical model fit my sensibility. And I had to go where I, I was appreciated, where I was celebrated, where I was heard because I just could not break through. And now, as you... I hear that things are changing. I see that things are changing, but there's still it's it's an, it's a climb. It's a climb because we have an institution that Juilliard name that you talked about being like oh no everybody knows that name. It's an institution that is steeped in elitism, classism, racism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so yep. breaking down those walls—it's a lot. But I have to say, this generation, like you said, They're pulling it down—they don't. They're tearing it. it all down. They, pull, they don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck. We don't give a fuck. We are tired. And you, you know, know what? Let's I love let's to do be, this. What's that? The honey? thing
1: I love most about that is that I'm the mother of a person in that generation, and it makes me I know real. It makes me thrilled to know that my daughter is in New York now, living her dream and doing the things that she wants to do. And you better not even look at her like you're thinking of getting her in her way. Okay, She will flatten you with a look. She doesn't even need to put hands on you. She will flatten your ass with a look. And I wish I'd had that confidence at her age. I didn't. Yeah. I will, however, I have to tell you this story because this is a quintessential Juilliard Come story. On. And it's... Okay. I wouldn't say it's not about racism as much as it is about sexism and misogyny. And this... Ah. This took a person I had a lot of respect for completely off... It, it threw me off this person for a minute. And I was very hurt by that but I'm not gonna say any names. They're just, there are a few people who really disappointed me, but I love them and respect them so much that to say their name feels like a betrayal. So I'm gonna keep the name out of it. Right. But anybody who was there when I was there will know who it is. Right around the time, at the end of my second year, the Juilliard Orchestra got chosen to Mm -hmm. be the orchestra in residence for the Avion Festival in France. Oh my! And I was chosen to be in the orchestra. Yeah, it was great. I brought my husband and we'd been married two days and had our honeymoon with a hundred of my closest friends. Uh, (laughs) It was weird. But Uh, I'd gotten chosen to be in the orchestra (coughs) and they'd put the seating out. And the person I was supposed to sit with was someone I didn't like. And it was someone who didn't like me either. And I knew this person didn't like me. Uh, And I don't have any qualms saying that this person was a complete sexist pig. Mm -hmm. And I had no respect for him. But, hey, this is a professional training school. I'm going to be professional about this shit. I didn't want to sit with him. I didn't want to look at him. But it was my job. Mm
0: -hmm. So one day, Mm
1: -hmm. the dean pulls me aside and says that this individual had come to the dean's office and spoken to them. And the dean said, I understand that you and this other individual don't get along. To which I said, no, we don't. Well, what we've decided to do... Now, the thing you need to understand about this is that this was the first opportunity I'd had to sit on the first stand. I'd never sat on the first stand in the Juilliard Orchestra yet. Wow. And I got to do it that time. I was sitting second chair. The other person was principal. So it wasn't like I was principal. It wasn't that, but it was first stand and it was an experience I had not yet had. And I was very honored to be chosen to do that. And it was rotating first stands. So there were two other co principals who were in the back when we were in the front. And then when they were in the front, we were in the back. And it was great. So four people got the opportunity to sit first stand that they had not previously had. I was excited. Right. That was a large part of why I decided to keep my mouth shut about the whole experience. Because, okay, fine, I don't like you, but this this is first stand. I can learn to live with it. Mm -hmm. So the dean said to me, so what we've decided to do is move you to third chair. That would have moved me back a stand. Of course. And of course. I looked at him and I said, so you decided that without speaking to me first. And he said, well, we just wanted to solve the problem. I said, okay, did I come to you and complain about this other person? No. And I don't like him any more than he likes me. But because he decided to come to the office and say things about me, You just decided to solve the problem without approaching me. Not to mediate, but just move me back. I said, he's the one complaining. How come you didn't move him? I brought him up short and I looked at him and I said, let me explain something to you, sir. This is a professional school. And when I leave here, I am sure there will come a day and a time when I am sitting next to some idiot I have no respect for And I will have to keep my mouth shut and do my job. I consider this practice. This is a (laughs) professional training school. This is professional training. I didn't say a word about him and I was ready to sit there and suck it up and do my job. But because he's not professional enough to sit next to me, I'm the one who has to suffer? Wow. I said, you go back and tell him I'm not anything." If he doesn't want to sit with me, move him. I I had had it. I couldn't. I couldn't do it, Denise. I was just. Yes. I was mad. It was the yes. injustice of it. It's just yes. like I don't like you any more than you like me. But you're right. a man, and you're gonna walk into an office full of men and talk man language and say the girl got to go. No. no. Yes. I may have been yes. born at night, but I wasn't born last night. No, no. Yes. You You don't like me? You don't want to sit with me? You sit somewhere else. Then we do. I earned this chair, and I'm going to yes. sit my black ass in it. I, sh- I was so <laughs> mad. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> but you know what? Woo! We sat yes. together for two weeks. And he treated me like shit for two weeks. And I sat there and did my job
0: and hey. did my job
1: and did my job. Hey. And at the very last hey. concert, he looked at me right before we were starting to play. And he looked at me and he goes, I'm sorry for the way I treated you. And I what? just looked at him and I said, oh, yeah, he apologized. He, he apologized to me. And I just looked at him and I said, uh-huh. And I just kept playing. I kept warming up because I didn't believe him. I didn't believe him, and I didn't care. Right. You were there to do a job. I just kept on stepping. I was there to do a job. And the next year, which was my last year, they sat me principal. What? And I could hear. They sat me principal for one concert, and I could hear everybody behind me I have never felt so many knives in my back at the same time. Denise, I could just feel everybody behind me waiting for me to fail. Everybody behind me just waiting for me to fall down on my ass and prove to everybody that I didn't belong in that chair. I could feel it. And I sat down. Oh, my God. I sat Mm. down. Mm. And I was immense. I was a Mm.
0: nervous wreck. Mm -hmm.
1: And my viola was in the shop. I had to borrow an instrument from the school. And then the guy who was giving out the instruments was just like, why do you deserve one of these good Italian instruments? And I'm just like, dude, can you just give me something to play on? Can you just loan me an instrument? Mm. Like, why do I have to justify myself to you? Just I have to play. I got a couple of little solos in this damn piece. Can you let me just play? And my stand partner is my friend to this day. I will never forget this. My friend Ralph Ferris, who I loved like a brother. And (laughs) I was humming through something. I I was singing through it before we had rehearsal. And Ralph sat down next to me and he put his hand on my leg and he looked at me and he said, Lisa, Lisa, you have to promise me you'll sing to your children when you have babies. You have the most beautiful voice. You have to promise me. And I was like, okay, Ralph, whatever. But he was kind. He was kind to me. And it wasn't a game. It wasn't a front. Mm -hmm. He was just genuinely one of the most kind human beings. And he encouraged me. And he played with me. And we had an amazing experience. He lifted me up, and I um, mm. I gave him a big hug after, and I thanked him, and I said, I couldn't have done this without you, Hello? because they were all waiting. They were all waiting me- for me to fall down, and you were the only one who looked at me and believed I could do it. And I really, <sighs> I, we have been friends ever since that day. Ever since those days, we have been friends. Ralph, it was funny when I had my daughter, I contacted him and I said, I just wanted to let you know I sang to my babies. (laughs) And he plays in a quartet that was in residence at Denison University here in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And that's where my daughter went to college. It's where my daughter did her undergrad. Wow! And uh, I put on social media that she had chosen to go to Denison. And out of nowhere, I get this text. I'm calling you tonight. I'm like, okay. He calls me up and he goes, okay, your daughter is going to be here for four years. Tell me what I need to know to be you for the next four years. What do I need to do for her? What does she oh need? My How can I be you? I need you to know your daughter is safe. I need you to know your daughter will be fine. I will take care of her. I will be sure she meets everybody she needs to meet. And he did. He (sighs) did. I don't have a lot of people I'm in touch with from Juilliard on a regular basis. There are a few. Mostly it's casual online stuff. But there are Mm -hmm. a couple people in my life who have just been there, who've just been there to the point, I barely remember a day in my life when they weren't there. And wow, Ralph is one of those people. He's one of the good ones. Me he to, really he he's to just thank you. He he was just a real friend, yeah, and not a judge, not somebody who looked at me as less than, not somebody who treated me like I didn't belong. He was just. Yeah. I'm glad you're here, Lisa. And we would talk and we still talk. And he's a wonderful person. And I love him like I love a little brother. He's just a great guy. Ugh. And now you know, he and my daughter
0: are both in New York and he hangs out with her. I love it. <laughs> it's great. I love it. I do. I love, I love it, it Lisa, too. You know, oh my God. you know, I have to say that in the drama division, when I was at Juilliard in the drama division in 1975, my first year, my class was group eight. You know, we had groups. I was group eight. I'm fond mm-hmm. of saying single digits because the significance, I do believe, right. the first year is group 55. Can you believe it? Group 55 is the first year this year. And I was group wow. eight. And I want to tell you your, your buddy's name is Ralph Ferris. Ralph, Ralph Ferris, Ferris is his name. My entire mm-hmm. class of group eight was filled with Ralph Ferris's. I'm so blessed. Uh, the entire are. company, the entire class, we are so close. Whenever there was a mishap or an atrocity or something that we could not stomach for that happened with one of us, we all felt it. We all fought against it. Uh-huh be it racism, sexism, misogyny, homophobia. Oh my God, it was crazy. The homophobia in in the drama division. It was every ism that could possibly be dealt with as young artists we were dealing with. And my class, my group, group eight, and we are very close to this day. I can't speak for the the groups that came before or after, although I will say that all of the sisters and brothers that were before me or after me, it's like you, Lisa. When we get in touch with each other, we don't skip a beat because we have that thing in common. We have this bond, this connection. We may talk maybe, I can count on one hand how many times I've spoken to Lisa Gay Hamilton or Lorraine Toussaint. And these sisters were at Juilliard after me but they're they're wonderful right. actresses with great careers, and we talk, and it's like we had just spoken yesterday because there's this they they are my Ralph Ferris, you know, and right. I have to say, in my experience, albeit it was it was not an easy one for a lot of reasons, but the community in the drama division, the community that we all needed each other, there were no mm-hmm. knives out. There was no stabbing in the back. We were there. That's all we had was each other because because the faculty was busy stabbing us in the back, <laughs> you know, all of us. The faculty right. was busy trying to cut people and and tell us we weren't, you know, wow. so all we had was each other. And those bonds mm. were so rich and just the the soil was so fertile for whatever creativity we couldn't find from the faculty or any kind of love and, and camaraderie that some of us were missing from the faculty, mm-hmm. we gave it to each other. It was a special time. Albeit it was, I'm going to add this, a- it was fraught with drugs and alcohol because it was the seventies, but baby, yeah. we loved each other. <laughs> we loved on each other. I, I I need to bring into the conversation this other of you. And and you can talk more about your wonderful daughter and your son and your husband in this context. What is and you? Oh, for you. For you. Thank you. you. Not and you. Yeah. For you. Sorry. No, it's okay. For you. And I need you you to spell it for me. Uh F-O-R-E-W-E. OK, um,
1: because I love a good pun. Um,
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> and pun is intended. That's here. wow. OK, mm-hmm.
1: yes. Oh, it's very much intended here. It's a yarn shop and it's my yarn shop. It's the yarn shop I own here in lovely rural Ohio in Overland, which I, I just I realized a couple years ago that I have other than living in Philadelphia where I grew up. I have always lived in one of the two places I went to school. I went to Oberlin. I live in Oberlin. I went to Juilliard. I lived in New York. That's it. I haven't lived in (laughs) there. Yeah. So we moved back here in 2008. My daughter was born in 98, my son was born in 2003. And well, you know uh, what the economy started to do in two thousand six, seven. You you can see July. things. I always tell people artists are the artists are the first ones to feel a recession coming because oh you gosh. can see the cutbacks, you can see yeah. the things that are disappearing. So we actually moved like weeks before we moved in September of two thousand eight, just as things were falling apart, and. I continued my career as a musician. I'd been reasonably successful playing in New York, and I parlayed that into reasonable success here. Hmm. And I've had a few jobs where I've worked for some men of questionable intelligence. And (laughs) I got tired of that. I got really tired of that. Yes. So I'm also getting older. And I have arthritis in my lower back and both shoulders and one of my fingers on my right hand. And I can still play. That's not a problem. I still enjoy playing. But I know that there is a time limit on how much longer I can do this for a living. And so I started to think about what makes me happy. Mm. I am a creative person by nature. It is what I am. So, you know, being a math teacher was not an option. That was not a thing, (laughs) not gonna happen. And my daughter left home at 18 to go to college and she's never lived with us since. She's just, she was very much like me in that regard. She just left and kept on stepping. And yeah, I miss her terribly. She and I are very close and it is hard to be without her. But if it means she's out Mm -hmm. there doing her. I will support her in the ways I did not get supported. My parents never appreciated what I did with my life. And I swear they died not understanding it. Hmm. But I love my children and I want them to be happy. And if that's something I understand, fine. And if it's something that I don't understand, fine. Doesn't matter what I understand. What matters is that they be able to pursue what they do. That's right. And my daughter's a talented, she's a talented artist, violinist, singer. She could, this child is a polymath. I swear, there's very little I've ever seen that she couldn't do. And she could have become a professional musician if she really wanted to. I think she just saw how much I struggled and was just like, nah, I'm out. And Mm -hmm. the funny thing, Denise, is that she grew up at Juilliard. She grew up at Juilliard. I was still there. She was born in 98. I was there for 10 years after I gave birth. She came with me (laughs) to work. Yeah. She knew that building like it was her home. She was more at home at Juilliard as a child than I ever was as a grown woman. That was Mm -hmm. the difference, that in all of my struggles, I had managed to create a child who saw Juilliard as just another place. It wasn't until she got much older that she realized it was an impressive thing that her mother had gone to Juilliard. Because she had, she walked into a play date once when she was three and she looked around and she goes, where's your mother's viola? <laughs> That's what mommies do. Mommies play the viola. <laughs> so it took a minute. She's like, wait, not all mommies yes. play the viola? I'm like, no, baby, no, they don't all do that. <laughs> my son has been my greatest joy and my greatest sorrow in a lot of ways. Uh, He was diagnosed with autism when he was three, and life has just never been the typical path for him, and that's been hard. It's not impossible, because if you you can survive being a Black woman at Juilliard in the early 90s, there's very little in the world you can't do. (laughs) Because I'm not dead yet. I am still here. I am still yeah.
0: here. So we need you to know, put that on a T-shirt. We need to put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Juilliard and I'm still alive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it feels like that some days. Yeah, Not so much anymore, but in the early days, it was like, Jesus, how did I survive this? Yes. The chronic illnesses, the therapy, I, yeah. it. Woo. I yes. was diagnosed with yeah. IBS at 26. And I was like, oh, they I Woo. got that at Juilliard along with the degree. <laughs> for years, for years, I called my Juilliard diploma the receipt. The receipt. <laughs> I am not playing with you. I called it the receipt. <laughs> Because I was just like, <laughs> I'm glad they wrote me a receipt for all the shit they put me through. <laughs> it, it, well,
0: well, I'm going to tell you full disclosure. I graduated from Juilliard in 1979. Mm-hmm. I did not step foot back in the building until 1992. I couldn't. I, I just you. couldn't. And I lived in New York. See, no, I didn't move Ah. away from New York. I lived in New York. I just could not go back. I could not go back. It was just, and I have to say by all accounts, as as experiences go, objectively speaking, mine Mm -hmm. was not one of the worst ones because I have heard stories, have seen stories. But even at that, it was so traumatic. I would get the heebie-jeebies when I go down Broadway in '66, 65th Street, I just go, oh, <gasps> <laughs> I got across the street. I got across the street. I can't do it. I got to cross the street. <laughs> it's intense. It's it intense. Is. And like I said, I did not have one of the, the- more horrific experiences because right. there are horror stories. Yeah. There are, unfortunately. And it's so interesting because this is part of the reason why I want to do it because I want to talk about it. I want to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. And I want to talk about the celebration. We are celebrating you, Lisa Whitfield. (laughs) We are celebrating you. That's what this is. It's a celebration. This first season is celebrating these folks that I knew at Juilliard to be the shit. (laughs) Really. (laughs) Really. I I never thought of myself that way when I was at. Juilliard at all. I and know you did not, but I saw you. I saw you. I saw you, sis. You know, thank and I and I see you now and I celebrate you. And I'm you. so proud of not just the artist that you've become, but the mother and the entrepreneur. This woman who has given herself agency by giving voice to people of color in the fiber community. That's huge. That's huge.
1: I think that part of who I am was always going to give a voice to people of color in any community, no matter what community that was. I mean, the first fight I had to have was about my mother telling me that Black people didn't play the violin. So Mm -hmm. I had to fight for myself as a little kid of color playing the violin. So that was probably the first battle I ever had to have about it. I wasn't the first Black woman to go to Juilliard to play a stringed instrument. I know I'm not, because once I graduated, there was this whole community of people who had gone to major conservatories, some of them Juilliard, who knew who I was before I knew they existed. Wow. And they're the ones that carried me into a new realm musically and professionally and started to hire me for things. My very first Broadway show came about because someone who had gone to Juilliard, a violist, hired me to sub for him. So yeah, the Black community embraced me at Juilliard and
0: continued to embrace me. Um, Yeah. Well, well, I'm going to tell you, my speech teacher at Juilliard, Tim Monick became my mentor and gave me my first major, major film as a dialect coach, which was Ali starring Will Smith. He couldn't do it because Scorsese called him. him. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Amazing. My Juilliard, my Juilliard teacher Scorsese called him to do Gangs of New York He told Mm -hmm. Michael Mann, the director, the only person I could hand this off to is Denise Woods. And And there you were. And that's how my Hollywood dialect coaching came about because of my teacher at Juilliard, Tim Monick, Mm. who I dedicated my book to. I dedicated my first book to my mother, my aunt Sylvia, the owner of Sylvia's Restaurant, I have to say. So people know, let you know that you know that you didn't know. (laughs) I had no idea. That's amazing. Good for you. <laughs> See that—that that I won't say in conversation because I don't want to sound like I'm bragging. Oh yeah, well my aunt owns on, aunt. Sylvia's right. You don't say that, but I say it in this context because I want people to understand how important these connections, these Juilliard connections, are. So I dedicate my first book to my mother, my aunt Sylvia, and Tim Monick. And when he saw it, he just <laughs> broke down and started crying. And I said, "Your tutelage." And your mentorship means everything to me, everything. I mean, he opened the door in Hollywood and gave me that first major, major job. I mean, I had been coaching before, but this was a major one that put me on the map. And so these Juilliard connections, be they all Black or Black-white, these Juilliard connections and the relationships that we forged, the bonds yeah. that we forged our lifetime. And I'm so glad to hear you speak about it, to speak about the jobs and the people, the people that knew who you were before you knew who they were. To it, me, it
1: was an intense experience and a wonderful experience because all of my camaraderie with other people of color was outside of being a string player. Yeah. And once I graduated, I got that last piece That had been missing it was an entire Mm. family of string players and it was just Mm. now I understand it was an understanding that sort of unfolded like a flower opening and then when the flower was finally completely open it was just like I'm home I'm okay and it took a long time it took a long time and a lot of booze Which I definitely had a problem with. Definitely had a problem with. I did some of my most intense drinking when I was a student at Juilliard. In fact, the very first time I remember drinking to the point I threw up was at Juilliard. And it was the night that the United States declared war in the Iraq War in 1991. Wow! I'll never forget that. I will never forget that night. Because we played Mahler 4 and we were just about to start playing, and the president wow. came out and stood on the stage at Avery Fisher and announced that we had just gone to war. And it was the wow. most surreal experience. And at the party, I don't remember how much I drank. No. I do not remember how much I drank. I do remember having to at least once have to bunk on somebody's floor because I was so messed up. Yeah. Um. But definitely, yeah. there were bad was, habits I, I that came to from say, being a student.
0: I know Yard. that. I know that in the drama division, <laughs> it was part of the culture. Drinking more. I mean, the drug culture was there, but alcohol was everywhere. And we could we smoked and right. in, in the seventies, we smoked in the buildings. We our teachers smoked in the classrooms. It was part of the culture. I can say that more than half of my class, of more than half of Group Eight. <laughs> Maybe not more than half, but certainly half of group eight is in recovery, (laughs) active recovery, you know, because it was so a part of the culture.
1: Yeah, I, I am in active recovery. I've been sober since January 17th, 2010. Good for you. And I became sober for my kids. I really. Yes. I realized I had a problem and I finally did something about it. But Juilliard was definitely a huge factor in the amount I drank. It became that that social lubricant that helped me get past those anxieties and feelings of not belonging. Yeah, um, It also allowed me to just behave badly and have an excuse. And that is a sad wow. thing that I felt I needed to do that. But yeah, I drank a lot. I drank a lot and I went to a lot of parties. A whole lot of parties. Mm-hmm. It was part of the culture. And I'm glad that that changed. It, it definitely was part. Of, but those Juilliard parties in the early '90s were a mess. They were so much fun because the dancers bugging <laughs> was just amazing.
0: I never it was went. Everything you I wanted never. W- I never partied with my students. I never part. I, I I just didn't want to see them. I was like, nope. I don't want. Nope. Nope. You I don't want to see right you in that not light. To. Yeah.
1: You were definitely <laughs> right not to. Uh, there was some poor behavior. Yes. I will say. Poor behavior,
0: Lisa. We are. We are winding. (laughs) (laughs) Might have been. We are winding down. We are so winding down. I want to ask you a couple of questions in the wind down. Yes. Yes. First question, and I know you you will have this answer right away. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell Lisa, that little girl that picked up that violin? And went to her mom and said, I want to play this. And her mom said, Black people don't do this. What would this Lisa say? Now, Lisa, who is Imani's mom. Lisa, who's in recovery, been in recovery for 12 years. What would this Lisa say to her mom?
1: i probably look at her and say, you're full of shit. You're full of shit because, yeah, you're full of shit. That's not true. (laughs) The only thing that comes to mind is like I had a friend whose family was all from the Caribbean, and this was the one thing my friend said that would guarantee to crack me up. You lie. (laughs) You lie. Because, yeah, it's not true. It's not true. Yes. So that's the thing I would say. I would go, you're you're full of shit. Yeah. You, you're you're hiding, lying. lying. It's not true. You lie.
0: Okay. It's not All true. All right. You know that wonderful saying, I wouldn't take nothing for this journey. Is there anything, is there one thing that you would have changed if you could have changed a little, you could have gone left as opposed to right. If you could have tweaked this as opposed to that. If there's, is there anything? Would you have changed anything in this journey, sweetheart?
1: I don't know why I'm stumped by that question, because I'm pretty sure I knew you were going to
0: ask me that. You know why? I'm gonna tell you why. Because I ask all of my guests this question. And for some mm-hmm. reason today, this question is coming from a deeper place because you, sis, have taken this, I don't even wanna call it an interview, this conversation to a whole nother level of transparency that has blessed me so deeply. And I just thank you. And so that question comes from a really, really deep place. Oh, you know, because the good, the bad, the ugly. Because I, too, mm-hmm. got sober in, in 1990. So by the time I showed up to Juilliard Girl, I was already clean and sober. Because, And I did it for my child, who was 18 months at the time. Because all of those... Mm. The pain, of growing pain, and the pains of being an actress, and pains of being a woman, and a marriage that had failed, or in my mind, failed. All of that stuff, that baggage mm-hmm. that I was toting around, I said to myself, I will not go into this new decade with this mucky on my back. And so I got clean and sober in 1990. And our and conversation- it's funny, I said the same thing 20 years later. Up, Come on, girl. I got sober
1: in 2010. That was 20 years later. I will not go into another decade.
0: I will not bring a decade in like this.
1: Yes. No. And it was right after the Mm -hmm. new year, too. So I I definitely felt that it was time to just wipe the slate clean. So I understand that. If I were to take a different step, any kind of different step, Denise, first of all, this conversation is a blessing to me, too. And I want you to know that. It it has never been easy for me to talk about Juilliard and the imprint it left on my life. And it left a huge imprint on my life because Juilliard was my entire adult experience from age 22 to age 40. That was my life. Yes. So it has been very difficult to step back and talk about it and talk about what it left, you know, I, the impact, the imprint, the residue, whatever you want to call it, it left something here that makes me who I am. So in that way, yes. I would never change yes. anything because yeah. I wouldn't be me if yeah. I hadn't done it. Yeah. If I had one thing to yeah. change, it would have been a step I before Juilliard. And it would have been to get that other degree from Oberlin. Oh. That is the one regret I have, that I did not go on to finish that bachelor's degree um, from Oberlin, from the college. Yes. And, and there are days when I think I might still do something just to have mm-hmm. an academic degree that's not a music degree. Yes. But that has more to do with my feelings of myself and being worthy intellectually, not artistically.
0: Yeah, I know that. I went back and got my master's degree in education, sweetheart, for that same reason, because I just did not feel, oh, yeah, I didn't feel intellectually educated. We went to conservatory. I had never taken a psychology class. i had never taken a math class. So I really felt that I needed that piece. And that very few people know that I have a a master's degree in teaching. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's
1: an incredible thing to have it in, too. It is, it is, I'm blessed,
0: I'm blessed. And I'm blessed that I did it at a time, you know, before online. This was before online and all of, you know, this was before computers, okay? And I would just show up to class, do my work, hand in my papers and jet. So it was easy. Sweetheart, we are winding down. This has just been incredible. I can't thank you enough, sis can't thank you enough would you come back
1: all you have to do is ask for you i would do anything
0: sweetheart thank you because i need us to sit in a room this is great but i need <laughs> to get a group of us in a room <laughs> yes okay That would, i need oh, to get wow. a group of us that would be an in experience. a room and i'm not gonna mention the names right now But when I do mention the names, you're going to go, I'll be there because you know them all. They have all said, Denise, just call me. I'm just cherry picking the people to put in a room, girl. Can you you imagine us all in a room?
1: No. Well, yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, Denise, let me just say this. I was unaware of the blessing I was receiving the day I met you. I did not understand or know what you would mean to me and that we would be sitting here 30 years after we met having this conversation and that I could share my experience with someone who really was there for so much of it and saw me It's a blessing to know that somebody hears you, that somebody sees you, that somebody believes you when you have been through so many experiences that people today just go, that doesn't happen. Stop complaining. Shut up and write. Shut up and play your instrument. Shut up and dribble. It's important that we be seen and heard. Ooh. I don't want a pity party. I yes. don't want Come on. I don't want anybody playing any tiny violins for me. I just want respect. I've been on a journey. What? Don't tell me I haven't been on it and respect me. That's it. I'm not asking for a handout. I'm not asking for anything I haven't earned but I've earned respect. That much I know. Yeah, I have done what I've done and I don't regret it. I've been on this journey, respect my footsteps, just respect that I took those steps so somebody yeah. behind me could follow them. And that is what I did. And that's the only thing I needed to do. I had the career I wanted to have, Denise. I'm happy with yep. what I did. I'm happy that I was able to have a family and raise children to adulthood. And now I can own a yarn shop because I feel like it, damn it. That's that's success to me, that I get to live in my joy. That is success to me. So thank you. And anything you need, I'm there. You don't even need to tell me who else is coming. I don't care. You don't need to tell me who else is coming. I'm coming for you. The rest of it's set dressing. Those are
0: extras. You're the leading lady. You have said it all. I have nothing else to say but love. I love you. I love you too, Denise. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. This was wonderful. Thank you, Lisa Woodfield. Lisa Woodfield, Juilliard, class of 93. Love you, sweetheart. Love you too. Thanks so much for spending time with us. Come back next week for part two. This is Denise Wood saying, you want more? Find us on whatever podcast platform you use. Subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks a lot. See you next time.